I believe in God, I the, believe Father, in God the Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. The third day, he rose again from the dead. I believe. Can I tell you what I believe today? I believe that nothing is impossible with God. And I would like for all of our Christ Journey family, wherever you're connecting with us, Kindle Campus, Gables Campus across South Florida, or church online across the nation, around the world, wherever you're making your connection with us, let's just declare our faith together. Take a deep breath and speak so as to be heard. Repeat after me. Nothing is impossible with God. Okay, let's do it again and soak it in this time, okay? Nothing is impossible with God. Amen. So whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever trial is troubling you, whatever challenge that you have just faced or the next one that's knocking on your door, let's remember this. As the angel told Mary, those are the words we're quoting, when she was saying, but how can this be? And he said, you know what? Nothing is impossible with God. And we're going to celebrate that today. I, I'm so thankful to be back with our Christ Journey family, wherever you're connecting. I was privileged to serve with uh, our medical uh, clinical team, a mission leadership team in Beirut, Lebanon this last week, and so thankful for your prayers in that and the opportunity of being back home. A chance to extend the love of God around the world to a war-torn area where families have literally been... Um, ripped apart because of the uh, crisis over there, and perhaps more to say about that a little bit later, um, but also to come back and know that our people have already been engaged with those that are on the other side of the storm that ravaged the Bahamas, and uh, today we are so honored and privileged to have pastors and wives from Bahamian churches with us, Pastor McIntosh, Pastor Pinder, and um, Pastor Baloo, yeah. I always get a little confused because it's spelled B-A-I-L-L-O-U. So, but Pastor Baloo, would you make them feel welcome wherever? Right over here. Amen. We love you guys. Just, we hope you're feeling this love wherever you're making your connection. And, you know, I got to say, the devastation is unspeakable. And so they're really not words fail. When you have lost your home, you've lost your church, you've lost your town, you've lost family members, loved ones. What words? But we want you to know you're in our prayers, you're in our thoughts, and you're in our hearts. And we are with you, not just for a short flyby on the front end, but we have been with you before, and, um, and we are standing with you now. So thank you so much for honoring us with your presence. And at the close of service, I, I know that you're going to want to extend your love to these families, and we're going to have opportunity to do that. But speaking of spending love, oh, my goodness, I get back, and yesterday we have eight baptisms on Miami Beach. And, you know, we're starting, we're starting the new congregation 
on Miami Beach, spring of 2020, and they were already out there and uh, spreading some love and joy around yesterday in the midst of that, and a little bit more about that a little, little bit later as well. But you know, speaking of nothing is impossible with God, we're moving into the impossibility zone on the second article of the creed, the Apostles' Creed, which simply states this. It's a statement of belief. It says, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried, descended into the dead, but on the third day rose and uh, ascended to heaven and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Mm. Today's focus is on Jesus Christ. And if you remember nothing else from this message, this entire series, then you have to know this, especially if this is your first time with us and you're thinking, hey, I'll go check that out. And what is it they believe exactly? Well, oh my goodness, then you need to know this. There is no Christianity without Jesus Christ. Period. Christianity is Christ. Christ is the water. Christianity is the wet. There is no wet without the water of Christ. Theologian Paul Tillich was studying world religions and studying religious leaders and asking about the significance of the movements that they had brought into being across history. And he was with a group of Buddhists in Asia, and uh, he asked them, what would happen to Buddhism if it were discovered that Buddha was a myth, that Buddha never lived, or that he was a fabrication? And the scholars' response was this. They said, if Buddha was a myth, it wouldn't matter at all. Buddhism is an abstract philosophy of life. And uh, whether it originated with Buddha is irrelevant. Irrelevant. If you study Buddha, what you'll discover is in his dying words, he challenged his followers not to focus on him, but on his teachings. Not his physical, not his material being, but on his way of life by which they could work their way into enlightenment. But Buddha himself is dispensable. Now see, with other religions of the world, their leaders may be dispensable. But I'm telling you, it, can't, it just doesn't work that way with Christianity. Jesus Christ is indispensable. <laughs> and, and though this is a snag in the modern mind, it is central and essential core belief to the teaching of the earliest apostles. Jesus Christ is God's only Son, our Lord. So if this is your first time or you're checking Christianity out and you're wanting to know, hey, what is it that you really believe around here? And if I were not to sugarcoat it but just gave you a straight sock to the jaw and say this is what's different about Christianity than anything else, anywhere else, then I would have to tell you that. Jesus Christ is God's only Son, our Lord. He's not just another prophet or teacher in a long line of sages and saints that are offering insight on that can enrich your life and help you reach up to God. He is the unique Son of God Almighty, one of a kind, stand alone, stand out, God in the flesh. 
So to say it another way, in Christ, we don't see people reaching up to find God. You know what we see? God coming down to reach humanity. That's the heart of it. So if you want to know what the first Christ followers believed, what they taught, what they preached, what they practiced, what they suffered persecution and died for, there it is. And maybe that's old news to you, but I'm telling you, this outrageous claim that Jesus, the Jew from Nazareth, Jesus Christ is God incarnate. What? I mean, think about it. Christianity is not rituals. Christianity is not rules. Christianity is not religious philosophy or some teachings from Jesus. Jesus Christ is Christianity. It's it's Christ. Christianity is knowing Christ. It's believing Christ. It's trusting Christ. It's following Christ. It's experiencing Christ. It's it's knowing him as Savior and Lord and being in relationship with him as the one mediator. There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Uh, That's at the heart of this. So If you're having difficulty with that, i got to tell you, so did they. Saul, the trained, intense Jewish Pharisee rabbi, knew on the face of this how repulsive it was to his background in teaching. And so he violently persecuted the early Christians as heretics of the highest order because this was the worst kind of blasphemy, the most outrageous profanity that you could possibly commit. And so you know what he did? He committed his life to obliterating the Christian movement because of this teaching. And then then he had this life-altering encounter on the road to Damascus, Syria, not far from where our team was serving in Beirut, that so altered the trajectory of his life that he became its leading preacher in the world. What? Oh my goodness. Preaching what? This? That in Christ, we don't see people reaching up to find God. We see God coming down to reach humanity. And then that same opponent would later write this, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the one, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and earth were created, things visible and invisible, and he himself was before all things. Can you swallow this? And in him, all things hold together. For in him, all the fullness of God. What? Are you kidding me? What? All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell? And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things. Come on. Whether on earth or in heaven making peace through his blood on the cross. Now, where did a Jew come up with an idea like that? He was trained to know that there was one God, and and now 
this. Jesus Christ, this Jew from Nazareth, is the image of the incarnate, invisible God. Now, maybe you've been around the block. You heard that before. But I'm telling you, this is outrageous news. He was a committed monotheist. Trained that this was the highest and worst form of heresy, and now he's its preacher. How does that happen? But this is the idea that we see throughout the earliest Christ followers. This same outrageous claim among similar monotheistic Jews. This most radical of ideas, then where does it come from? Well, he didn't think it up by himself. If you read his story, you'll see that. But where do we find this most radical of ideas that in Christ we see God coming down to reach humanity? In the earliest documented records from the eyewitnesses of the life and work of Jesus of Nazareth, that's where it shows up. Way before there were ever creeds, way before there were ever church councils, there was this confession And those that were witnesses of his life were writing it down. And so the New Testament letters and the Gospels are actually making the claim and then presenting the evidence. That's why they were so radical at the beginning as well. Mark is considered the first of the Gospels. Probably written as maybe as early as 55, A.D. 55. And what he does right out of the gate, first verse of the Gospel of Mark, the beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Boom! Drop the mic. You know, I mean, there it is. This is the headline right there. You want to know what this is about? And then he starts listing the evidences. Here's how I came to that conclusion. Uh, There was the fulfillment of prophecy through the years, the voice of heaven at his baptism, his power over disease and demons, his claim to forgive sins, he redefines the Sabbath day. This is all God stuff. And you know what? We haven't even made it out of chapter three. Mark was saying something is going on in Jesus. Matthew's gospel, written probably around 60 to 65 A.D., First chapter reports an angel telling Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. You know, he had some concerns about that in light of her condition. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That's where that language comes from. Verse 22 says that there was an ancient prophecy being fulfilled. Verse 23, the virgin will be with child to give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. There it is, smack down. God is coming down to, to reach humanity. That's, that's different. In Luke's gospel, the angel tells the Virgin Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, reminding us of another beginning where Almighty God hovered over, created the heavens and earth, formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters Genesis 1 claims that creation comes as the Spirit of God overshadows the nothing in the pre-cosmos. And now Luke is saying, you know, the angel told her that new creation is going to result as the Spirit overshadows the nothing in Mary's womb. And now new creation will begin. Something different is going on here. And then, you know, Mary has to be reminded of uh, how Israel even began 
in the barren womb of Abraham and Sarah. And yet into that barrenness, God brought forth Israel. And now, God is beginning the story of a new Israel as from the barrenness of Mary's empty womb. He visits. And so the angel tells Mary this, Luke 135, so the Holy One to be born will be called Son of the Most High. So even in the womb, Jesus is uniquely bearing God. <laughs> He's not dispensable or disposable. He's the heart of it all. This is the truth declared in the Apostles' Creed. Now, is that too heavy? Are you guys still with me? Are you thinking too hard on a morning so early? You know, are you keeping up with me, or do I need to back up and say, hey, let's just take a breath. <sighs> Man, this is pretty heavy, isn't it? And yet this is the heart of the Apostles' Creed. Jesus Christ conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Now, through the rest of the Mark's Gospel, Matthew's Gospel, Luke's Gospel, what we learn is what that means. What does that mean? Because you remember, they met him as an adult male, these writers, the ones that traveled with him. And, uh, and what we see is that God's Spirit is now defining not only his work, but his nature, because they're living up close with him. In Luke 4, Jesus opens the scroll at synagogue and, uh, and to the prophecy of Isaiah that says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed and proclaim the year of God's favor. And in this, Jesus is, by the way, using the word anointing, the word anointing means Christed. God has anointed me. God has Christed me. If you ever wonder where Jesus got his middle name, Christ, that's what he's talking about here, Jesus Christ. He's claiming to have God's unique anointing upon him as the fulfillment of the messianic hope of Israel. He's saying that God himself, who made the promise, is now going to fuel my life to the point that you're going to see these miracles happening through me. And so then Matthew's gospel lists all these miracles and the messages, which climax at that declaration of Simon Peter when he says, you know, he's looking at uh, what he's heard, what he's seen, all they've been through with Jesus. And one day he says, Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. It's like it dawns on him. Jesus isn't just another guy from Nazareth. Jesus is doing stuff that only God is supposed to be able to do. So I guess we ought to call him who he is. And in that growing declaration, that's where the confession comes. In Christ, we don't see man reaching up to find God. We see God coming down to reach humanity. In John's gospel, we're invited into Jesus' self-awareness his self-reflection journey, and especially into the deeper insight of what those titles mean, I am. Because many times Jesus is self-referencing with these words, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate through which you come. I am the good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I am the true vine. These are self-declarations of his nature that is happening in John, and John's wanting us to know, hey, something's going on here. 
course, the bodily resurrection of Jesus is the greatest sign. We're going to get to that as the statement unfolds later in the series. But the rest of the New Testament letters declare it too. Jesus is the one mediator between God and man. That's what they believed. That's what they were practicing. Jesus is God's revealer to humankind. I'm not asking if you believe that. I'm just telling you. You want to know what they believed? You want to, you can't, it's inescapable in the New Testament. You're studying it. You want to see what it says. This is what it says. Book of Hebrews, written before 70 AD when the temple was destroyed, says this. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets many times, various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Now, if you think that's something, this is going to blow your mind. Next verse. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Oh, my goodness. Exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. So God's holiness, God's purity, God's love, fully present in Jesus, the exact representation. Would you say those two words with me? Exact representation. Then you see what the New Testament witnesses and writers were declaring about their experience of Jesus. In Jesus, we don't just see man reaching up, trying to find God in another religion. We see God coming down to reach humanity. And if you want the real thing, the way it began, then you'll need to know this. The writers of the New Testament, the earliest witnesses of the light and work of Jesus, were convinced that he was uniquely God in the flesh. So there's the what that it, we believe. And if you want to know, uh, and by the way, they're writing all of this in their source material within 30 years of their experience of his resurrection, which matters in things of ancient history. But you're wondering, as I'm wondering, then how does that work? You know, really? Jesus Christ, God's son, how does that work? And the, the answer is, we don't know. You know, we don't know. This is a mystery. That's not a cop-out word. That's a good theological word. It says that God is much bigger than our minds. And... Um, and yet we try to figure out not how does it happen, but which we find them wrestling, struggling with as they experience this. But we have theologians who also are trying to put their best thinking into illustrating it. Origen of Alexandria it was one of those, and this is what he said. He said that in Jesus, Jesus' humanity was united with the eternal God as son in the way that a piece of iron is placed in a fire, glows with heat. That is, the iron, he says, becomes holy fire. Since nothing else is discerned in it except fire. And if anyone were to attempt to touch or handle it, uh, they would feel the power not of iron, but of fire. In this way, Jesus' human soul, Origen explained, 
which like iron in a fire was placed in the word forever, in wisdom forever, in God forever, is God in all that he does, feels, and understands. So Jesus is truly human, nothing but iron, but he's truly divine, nothing but fire. Jesus is so permeated by the divine presence that every part of his humanity is filled with divine energy without exception, without interruption. Fully human, fully divine. He's born of woman, human. He's conceived of the Holy Spirit, divine. He is iron, but he is fire. His humanity is full of mystery, but there they both are. And, and then he says something like this. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And then invites them to evaluate that in life of what he's doing. And what they see him doing is stuff that they've always been taught that only God does. Forgive sin, release from demons, raise the dead. God has made himself known is what they wanted us to know in Jesus Christ. And just as an author, if you were writing a book and you had characters in the book and you desired those characters to know you as the author, what would you have to do? Well, you'd have to write yourself into the story so that the characters in the story could relate to you in the story, wouldn't you? And that's what the writers say. Look what God did. The author and finisher of our faith has written himself into the story of humanity, but not just in words. The word became flesh. And dwelt right here with us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, what? But what does that mean? Okay, so there's where it came from. There's how it might work. But what, what difference does it make? What does it mean? Well, I'll tell you, this is incredible. But here's what it means. It means that you and I can know what God is like. And it means that you can know God. I mean, I know some of us, you, you've been around the block, you know the drill, we talk about stuff like that around here. But can you imagine hearing it and seeing it and sensing it for the first time? You can know God. Jesus personally shows us what God is like. What does he show us? He shows us that God loves you. God understands you. God gets you. God feels you because he knows what it's like to be like you. In Jesus, he became one of us. This is God doing the, uns the unthinkable. Didn't see this one coming. But instead of men reaching up to find God, God comes down and reaches into humanity. And then as one of us, you know what he does? The unspeakable. The unspeakable. He offers himself as one of us for one of us in all of his godness. More about that later in the creed. But he offers himself for each one of us on the cross in love. So what difference does it make? It's one thing to have an idea to believe. It's another thing to enter into an experience. That's what they're trying to help us do here. What difference does it make? Well, let me put it this way. C.S. Lewis, in his wonderful story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, talks about the amazing world of Narnia that is under the curse of evil to the point that the wicked queen 
has it under a spell where it is always winter and never Christmas. Could you imagine? And somebody's thinking, yeah, I live there. Always winter, never Christmas. Yes. Welcome to my life. You know, always full of hope and yearning, but never full of opportunity and fulfillment. Until Aslan enters Narnia. The great king. What the gospel of Jesus means as Aslan enters your space is that it can always be Christmas. So that every day when you get up, there's a gift to experience. There's a family to celebrate with around a tree of life that is declaring life into your life. That's what that means. So how are we supposed to live? I mean, that's really the offer there. How are we supposed to live? Okay, well, how do you live on Christmas morning? How about that? You get up, you think there's a gift waiting for you, don't you? Is that right? Oh, there's a gift for me. And then what do you do? You go find it, and then you, you receive it. First, you believe that there's a gift, and then you receive it. You say, oh, for me? <gasps> yeah, you open it up, then you put it on, or you gobble it down, or you start using it because you act as if it's for you. That's what they're saying. Christ has come so that you might experience the gift of God in your daily life by faith. He doesn't wait for you to reach up to him. He comes down to you and then says, would you like a gift? And then when you respond, he starts changing things. Just like we saw happen in Beirut this last week. You know, in many ways, Beirut is like Miami of the Middle East. It's a city full of a mashup, a mashup of people from all the nations surrounding nations, all the cultures, all the languages, all mashed into the same space. Some people are there as refugees because of the war that they didn't want or start and trying to find their way to survive. Others are there as immigrants hoping for a better life. Others are there as Lebanon is their homeland and they're, they're seeking to rebuild after the war. Um, I prayed with people who just wanted to see their family back together. They haven't seen sons and husbands for years because. And so others were looking for relief from poverty and disease. Everyone was open to spiritual, spiritual solutions and meeting Jesus as their friend. See, the Jesus that doesn't wait for you to reach up to him, but he comes down to you. Um, an unexpected opportunity came to us in that we were, uh, we were able to meet with the immediate past president of the nation, a few of us, and to speak of what we were doing there and why we were doing it as an American church, why we would be there and what we were doing. And, uh, and the president asked me, what, what are you sensing from the people that you're serving and I said, well, they're hopeful and they're troubled. They're hopeful for a better way. They're hopeful that the war will end. They're hopeful for reuniting family. They're hopeful. There's a spiritual hopefulness about them. But they're also troubled because in so many ways it feels so limited and helpless. And here's what I'm thinking. 
We know how that feels too right here, don't we? We know what that feels like in South Florida and the United States of America where people are hopeful but troubled. Maybe that's where you are right now. We got our brothers and sisters here from the Bahamas today. They know what that feels like, don't they? Hopeful but troubled. And so what do we do in a world like that? Well, God says, I come to visit you through the Word made flesh. Our church is one of those churches that believes that God came as the Word made flesh, and now what he wants us to do is go into a troubled world that's hopeful and enflesh the Word so that others can find healing and help, just as our Lord taught. So what I would love to do now, you know, the earliest confession of the church was Jesus Christ is Lord, and then they started living it out. Well, we want to do that today for a moment. So I'm going to invite, I, I, I didn't tell you all about this, but I would love to invite our Bahamian guests to the platform and the entire team that went with them on mission. If you're part of the mission team to Bahamas, please join them. Let's welcome them right here to the center platform. Hey. And please just come right over and... Uh, we, we want to get you in here where uh, others who are joining us through our live streaming will be able to experience that and pray. We're going to have a moment of prayer together. I want to invite the entire team, Evan Reese and um, the others that were on the team that, that have served, the Pertigans, uh, yeah, the Monteros. God bless you. And, uh, and Evan, I want to thank you for your service with Cooperative Baptist Fellowship as well and for the immediate response that because of that partnership we've made to be able to be available immediately and then our commitment for what is yet to be. And so uh, I think we're all looking like we're standing way too cleanly in a, in a line here. Why don't we just group up and I'm going to invite you all. We're going to pray together. Let's pray for our Bahamian friends and family. They have lost homes, lost church facilities, literally towns, loved ones, family members. Pastor Pinder was telling me that his son endured the storm uh, through a mango tree. I mean, excuse me, uh, I did it again, didn't I? I'm sorry. Um, Pastor Ballou told me that... Um, his son was holding onto a mango tree, and then when the water subsided, he was able to get down. So I want to invite us, wherever you're joining us now, if you just want to put your hand toward the screen of your computer or of your TV set or whatever you're doing, and in our congregations at Kindle Campus, if you just want to extend your hands this way, and then Gables Campus, if you want to extend your hands this way, and then we're just going to invite the Spirit of the living God to bring the blessing of God into their lives so that through them, these men and women who have committed themselves to the service of Jesus Christ uh, in the face of this kind of devastation and so hard to understand and wrap our heads around and yet our hearts are together to invite God's blessing for the future. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these men and women of God. We thank you for their service through the years. We thank you for their faithfulness through the storm, and we thank you now for your strength that will rise within them so that they might rise to face the occasion. Would you grace us to be with them? Lord, honor our desire to not just be there at the beginning, but to be friends through every day until the rebuilding and the restoration is complete. 
Thank you for our teams, our families that have accompanied in time past. Thank you for the wonderful memories we, we cherish today from that. But now in the midst of our tears, in the midst of our troubles, how we pray, Father, that you would just anoint them with fresh anointing to see your face, to feel your strength, to know your arms holding them up, and that you would grant them to be channels of your grace even in the midst of these wounding circumstances. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for modeling that for us, that your nail-scarred hands are full of life and freedom and hope for us even in our trouble. If you join me in this prayer, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. Now, we're not done praying yet because there are people here today who have thought about Jesus in their head, but you need to know Jesus in your heart. And this idea of Jesus Christ as God's only Son, our Lord, is not just something to think about, an idea to think about. It's an experience to enter. And so I'm going to invite you, if you would like to know him as they said he could be known, then here's a prayer you can join me in right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming as one of us that we might know what God is like. Thank you for loving me. I invite you to forgive my sins, to fill my life with your spirit, your presence, and as I turn from my way to learn to go your way, I pray that you would open my eyes to understand what they meant when they said, Jesus Christ is God's only Son, our Lord. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me and would allow me to ask God's blessing upon you in your next steps of faith, I'm going to invite you to simply slip your hand up and hold it up for a moment. Wherever you're joining us online, you can click on the screen. Kendall Campus, you know that we're praying with you, for you. Our pastor's praying. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I'm seeing hands to my left against the wall and toward the back. I'm seeing hands here in the center. God bless you. Right here toward the front, to my right, in the middle on the right. Amen. Lord Jesus, for every person who by uplifted hand is saying, I want to know you. I'm believing in you. We pray right now that in the midst of their trouble, they would feel your hope. They would know your presence and the lift of your spirit as you start walking with them from this day forward as we make our prayer in your name. Amen. 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 God bless.